teaching cannabis business owners how to effectively manage all aspects of their business, increase profits, and get results. Welcome to Cannabis Solutions, presented by PayQuick. Our expert host coaches you on the do's and don'ts of running your cannabis business with insight, advice, and war stories from the trenches from established leaders in the cannabis industry. Now, the host of Cannabis Solutions, here with the answers to make your cannabis business thrive, Kenneth Burke. Hi, welcome to Cannabis Solutions presented by PayQuick. I'm Kenneth Burke, and we have an incredibly knowledgeable guest today, a preeminent CPA in Washington named Dean Gusky that has been involved in representing marijuana businesses for many, many years. Dean and I have known each other for over two years uh, in the cannabis space, and uh, we've got a great show for you today. So, Dean, welcome to Cannabis Solutions. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for uh, being on the show. We're, we're absolutely thrilled to have you. So uh, starting right in, uh, my first question is, I'm, I'm starting a cannabis business, right? And I'm thinking, um, when do I need to get a CPA involved? Well, I think it's, it makes sense to get one involved um, before, you, before you even start um, and get them involved in the process um, right up front while you're even writing your business plan. Um, and I, I think it's uh, a CPA can help you with choice of entity, your business structure, give you some guidance um, before you know before you think about gee doing your tax return. I've got a lot of people that come to me and say, "Hey, I've been in business for two or three years, and." Um, and now I finally have some sales and gee, it's time to do my tax return. Well, you know, you've kind of wasted some opportunities to, that you could have taken advantage of uh, had you gotten somebody involved uh, up front. Well, that's great advice. So the, the idea there is uh, as soon as you're putting together your business plan or as you're putting together your business plan, uh, get your CPA involved. And I know, I imagine you've had a number of clients show up with the proverbial a shoebox full of uh, receipts and then ask you to do their tax return based on that. So uh, to our listeners out there, get your CPA involved very, very early and they can help you structure even the type of entity that you're going to use, whether it's a partnership, an LLC, a limited liability company, that is, or a corporation. So now, all right, I'm starting my business or I'm, I'm writing my business plan and I've been listening to Cannabis Solutions and I realize I got to I got to find a CPA. How do I go about finding a CPA? And the next follow-on question is going to be: And what questions do I ask him? You know, to to find out if he knows what he's talking about when it comes to this space. You know, I, I think probably the instinctually, you know, I think what people do is they ask around, and I think people in the in the marijuana or cannabis uh, community are are pretty well connected. And I think what they what you want to do is you want to talk to somebody um, that's maybe already in the business, has some experience, and find out who they're using. Um, you might also want to take a look at you know some of the trade associations. Um, there's lots of uh, or professional organizations in this industry, and um, you know, lots of us speak at these uh, organizations. Um, 
you know, so I, I think there's I think there's plenty of ways to find somebody good. And I and I think the the questions that you want to ask of a CPA, particularly in this industry, is how long have you been practicing in the area? How many clients do you have? And you know, get a get an understanding of what their experience level is in the particular industry. Got it. All right. So uh, word of mouth, you know, talk to some folks who already have cannabis businesses, see who their CPAs are and participate in trade associations and, and go to some of the seminars where CPAs are speaking and, and get a feel for them. And then when you when you do find one or you, would you recommend interviewing a couple of them before making a decision on one? Yeah, I would. Um, I, I certainly would. And I go through that process uh, with clients uh, that want to use my services. And I, I've had several that have come in and said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking with you. I'm also interviewing this person or that person as well. And I, I think you owe it to yourself to do that. Um, because it's not only it's not only a person's knowledge, but uh, are you a good fit? You know, do you have, it's somebody that you're going to be working with uh, on a pretty important aspect of your business. And I think you've got to be able to have, you know, some good communication with that person. They have to understand your business, maybe how you operate um, and how the CPA okay. operates as well. Is there anything yeah. that uh, should cause me to run for the hills um, if I if I hear my CPA or my the CPA I'm interviewing say this or say that um, to just check off of my mind. All right, let me get out of this meeting and uh, I'm going to move on. Yeah, I think if you hear things that are maybe too good to be true, um, I think we all you know no you, nobody likes paying taxes, <laughs> but if right. uh, but if you hear coming from your CPA that says. Hey, you're never going to pay a dime in tax if you go with me. Um, and uh, I've I've got this method that uh, uh, that you'll never pay any tax. I, I think that's that's a warning sign for sure. No, or, no that's an invitation, to, yeah, invitation or, to be wearing uh, thick stripes, basically. That's right, and and uh, or I've never done a return, or I've never I've never had a client in your industry. But let me see. Maybe I can read a few articles and I can find out about it. Okay. Well, that's. I think that's great advice. Really, really great advice. All right. So now <clears throat> we've got our CPA. Let's let's delve in to a little bit deeper um, with with respect to tax issues. And I want to start with a basic one first, mm -hmm. and that is excise tax. I mean, I'm getting into this industry and mm -hmm. I hear excise tax, but I pay my federal taxes and I pay my property taxes. What exactly is an excise tax and how does that different how does that differ from you know the other taxes that I'm going to be paying right so you know there are in in our system in our society there are all kinds of taxes unfortunately and and you're exactly right you've identified a few of them like property taxes there are also sales taxes there are income taxes payroll taxes and and excise taxes here in the state of Washington, uh, there is an excise tax that is charged to the customer uh, when they buy cannabis, in addition to a sales tax. And the cannabis retailer actually collects that tax from the customer much in the same way as they would collect a, a sales tax. And 
it's not income to them, but they're basically a collection agent for the state. And so it's, it's a tax that, it's, that is measured on the uh, price of the product rather than an income tax, which is measured, on your, uh, measured against your income. And how should I figure excise taxes into my uh, financial projections and, and determining you know, how much money I'm actually going to be able to make on this business? You shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't figure them into uh, them at all because it's not income to you and it's actually not an expense. It's just, a, you're just a collection agent for the state. And so you, when you take that money in, you should immediately set it aside, probably in a separate account if you have banking. I would put it in a separate account and I wouldn't touch it. I wouldn't use it to operate the business. And in our case here in Washington State, uh, it's, it's payable to the state on a monthly basis. Got it. So segregate your excise taxes so that when the end of the month rolls around, you will have the money available to pay that. Because I would imagine the, the fines and penalties and interest, et cetera, from the state are quite severe if you don't pay your excise taxes on time. That's correct. Just like any other tax. Uh, the, if, if you don't pay it on time, you're going to be subject to penalties, you'll be subject to interest, and you're going to make your life miserable. Got it. And in your experience um, in Washington and paying excise taxes, you know, how can people do that? I know it was a lot of cash up front. I know through our platform, through the PayQuick platform, you can pay your excise taxes electronically. What would be your advice to your clients with respect to paying their excise taxes? So most of, most of the uh, clients that we have do have uh, banking uh, in Washington, and whether it be your PayQuick uh, solution or another bank, and so they are taking care of them uh, electronically. Um, some people still do pay their taxes in cash. Um, many of the agencies, including the state of Washington and the Internal Revenue Service, will accept cash, uh, but you do have to make an appointment uh, with them uh, to make that payment. Got it. Okay. Well, listen, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, we're going to get into the federal tax issues, uh, 280E and uh, IRS Forms 8300. We're here today with Dean Gusky, who is a renowned CPA in Washington serving the marijuana industry, and he's got great information for us. So stick with us with Cannabis Solutions presented by PayQuick. We'll be right back. We'll bring you more Cannabis Solutions after this. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now About a game for your phone gonna make you say Wow! The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash Little by little your empire grows large Put the big celebrities inside your entourage You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Cheech and Chong Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong The name of the game is Himping, that's the point Download and play while you light yourself a joint The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh yeah, get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. <sighs> Cash? Sorry. 
I don't carry around cash, and I don't want to use the ATM and pay surcharges. You don't need to carry cash. Haven't you heard about PayQuick? Okay, tell me about PayQuick. It's the safe and easy way to pay. It works just like your debit card to securely pay for your purchase, and it gives you rewards points every time you use it. Nice. PayQuick, the safe and easy way to pay. P-A-Y-Q-W-I-C-K dot com. Everyone deserves the medicine they need. Aaron's premium CBD essentials and CBD nectar products are made from plant-based organic ingredients, grown and processed in the United States. Our unique formula of coconut oil and coconut water, infused with CBD oil, is ideal for all skin types and provides maximum relief. Aaron's Essentials was formulated by 9-11 first responder and stage 4 cancer survivor Aaron Sieber. As a cannabis connoisseur, Aaron began making and using his own lab-tested medicinal cannabis products to help relieve the side effects of his rigorous cancer treatments. Visit www.cannosaurbrands.com for more information on Aaron's Essentials and learn how you can pay it forward. That's C-A-N-N-A-I-S-S-E-U-R-Brands.com. Keep your cannabis cravings under control. Feed your mind with CannabisRadio.com. Cannabis Solutions, presented by PayQuick, is back to help your cannabis thrive. Only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back. This is Cannabis Solutions, presented by PayQuick. Today, we're here with Dean Gusky a renowned Washington CPA who's been serving the cannabis industry in Washington for many, many years and is the most knowledgeable CPA I know in this industry. So, Dean, we talked about uh, taxes in the past and I want in our first segment, and I want to now talk about um, some forms that got to be filed. And the first one is uh, IRS Form 8300. And we had heard that IRS was doing some audits in Colorado on Form 8300. Can you explain to us what Form 8300 does? And then I want to talk a bit about what do you do if you get a notice from the IRS regarding an 8300 audit? Yeah, and a Form 8300 is you use that to report to the IRS when you receive $10,000 or actually more than $10,000 of cash in a single transaction or a series of transactions. And you need to file this form within 15 days of the receipt of that cash. And cash actually uh, includes traveler's checks, cashier's checks, those sorts of things. And it's nothing to be afraid of. Uh, it applies to any business, uh, not only the marijuana business, but businesses, well, particularly a good example is uh, car dealerships. And the idea is that the IRS wants to know if you're doing significant transactions in cash, they just want to make sure that there's not uh, money laundering going on. Uh, I wouldn't be afraid of uh, filing the form I have filed them myself. I've had clients that pay me in excess of $10,000 in cash. I take it to the bank, and the bank has me fill the form out. Uh, I don't think it's anything to worry about. In fact, the penalties associated with not filing the form are pretty egregious. So just go ahead and file it. 
Got it. And the other thing that I know uh, some folks do, because they are afraid of the form and you really don't need to be, um, is they engage in something called structuring. And can you tell us a little bit about structuring and what that means and, and uh, why you got to stay away from it? Yeah, I, you know, I think what that, your question is, you know, structuring a transaction in a way where uh, the dollar amounts involved would not be over $10,000. And that's just something that you need to avoid because if you're found to be doing that, then you have willfully uh, not filed the Form 8300 and you're going to be subject to fines and penalties uh, that you were you know, just trying to avoid by not filing the form. There is nothing at all to be afraid of filing a Form 8300. Just do it. Understood. Um, and when I, when I say structuring, uh, Dean is right, and that is you know, there are folks that will, um, they've gotten, say, $15,000 from a, a client in cash, and they they split it into two deposits of under ten thousand dollars each to avoid filing the form eighty three hundred. And there's no reason to do that. And I believe it's also a crime to do that, a, a felony it, to structure it is action. So, yeah, so you're facing it, it is criminal prosecution. Yeah, it is. So you're facing potential criminal prosecution for doing something that you really don't need to be afraid about. And I think it applies, you know, a lot to producer processors who are getting paid in cash by retail stores and like you mentioned to ancillary businesses whether they're accountants or lawyers or landlords that are being paid in cash file that form 8300 you can download it from the internet no problem in a pdf form fill it out um, and file it so i think that's great advice and i would hope that all of our listeners at this point would not structure their deposits to be intentionally below ten thousand dollars and just go ahead and file the 8300 um, the next That's thing that correct. I want to talk to you about is uh, Section 280E, with marijuana being a Schedule One controlled substance. What does that really mean in terms of federal taxes and, and Section 280E? Yeah, Section 280E is just a, it's a provision in the Internal Revenue Code. The, the, the code is broken up into all these various sections, and all of them have numbers. And 280E, in a nutshell, basically says, if you're in a trader business of trafficking in a controlled substance under Schedule 1 or 2, and you point out that marijuana is a Schedule 1 drug, then you are not entitled to take any deductions or credits against your income. What it doesn't say, however, is that you are actually entitled to take cost of goods sold and it's your only deduction. And when 280E was written back in 1982, there was some concern, uh, a constitutional concern, that if cost of goods sold was not allowed, then you would be taxing people beyond their income and you'd be in violation of the uh, 16th Amendment of the Constitution. And so this is the only deduction that is allowed and therefore, that's where we spend most of our time uh, on tax returns is getting cost of goods sold using the other rules in the Internal Revenue Code as high as possible. 
Got it. And if you could maybe give us some details about what does that really mean, cost of goods sold, and and what solutions have you found for your clients to try and get cost of goods sold to be as big a number as possible so that the net income upon which you pay taxes is as small a number as possible? Yeah, that's right. So cost of goods sold, you know, there are there are also in the Internal Revenue Code and in accounting principles in general um, outside of the Internal Revenue Code, various rules about what goes into inventory. And in fact, the IRS, in most instances, wants you to push as many expenditures into inventory and then relieve them into cost of goods sold as possible because it actually delays the timing of deductions. And so we use their rules sort of against them. It's a little bit of a, I call it a jujitsu move, right? I just <laughs> pull them right in and say, fine, great. Let's, uh, let's put as much into inventory as possible. So l- let's take the producer processor context. The, the vast majority of your expenditures are to produce your plants or your extracts or your edibles and things like that. And so things like your labor, your nutrients, your utilities, your rent, all these sorts of things go into the production, they're direct inputs into the production of your goods, and those are what we call inventoriable expenses. Okay, and so we take those, add them all up, you divide it by the number of units that you produce during the year, and then you get a, uh, a cost of each good, uh, and then when you go to sell them, we allocate uh, those inventoriable costs into your expenses that you get to take on your tax return. Um, the things that you are not allowed to take are what we call selling general and administrative expenses, or you might know them as SG&A. Um, those are just not deductible in the context of a, a business that's trafficking in a controlled substance. So 280E impacts retailers uh, much more harshly than it does uh, producers and processors, primarily because the the amount of expenditures that one has in that business uh, on the retailing side, most of them relate to selling. And selling expenses are not cost of goods sold. So for instance, here in Washington, retailers are only allowed to sell cannabis, cannabis infused items, and paraphernalia. And those, all those goods basically come packaged from the processor and so there's very little additional input um, that we can put into cost of goods sold from an expense standpoint uh, to kind of lessen that burden. Uh, we do take things like, uh, you know, you, you've got a manager that is typically doing ordering and inventory control, and so you will be able to get some wages associated with, uh, with that manager's time. Um, you have storage of inventory. So anything that we can kind of look to to get into inventory will definitely do. And so one of the things we always want to have is uh, an employee's job description, uh, a floor plan of your store, because you know we'll try to allocate some rents toward there. Uh, right. Anything that anybody's doing related to that, we'll, we'll try to get in. Sort of a long-winded answer. I apologize for that, but 
Well, it's a, it's um, a complicated issue. It's a complicated issue, and it certainly right. impacts, as you mentioned, the retail stores much more severely because there are far fewer mm-hmm. items that they can fit into the cost of goods sold bucket than a uh, producer processor can fit in. And with that, amazingly That's enough, we're out, of, we're out of time for this segment. So we're going to take a break, and when we come right back, we're going to see what's in store for the future. We're talking with Dan Gusky, a renowned CPA serving the cannabis industry. This is PayQuick. I'm sorry. This is Cannabusiness Solutions presented by PayQuick. Stay with us. We'll be right back. We'll bring you more Cannabis Solutions after this. Do you want to get in on the booming cannabis industry? With new frontier data, we give industry insiders the power of big data analytics to help navigate this rapidly growing and changing landscape. New Frontier's tools help you make critical decisions based on the facts. Our industry analyst reports reveal the best opportunities. Our custom research engagements deliver answers to the most difficult questions. And our cutting-edge big data platform, Equio, puts real-time information and answers you need right at your fingertips. Go to www.equio.io and sign up for your free membership today. That's EQUIO.io to sign up now. The power of real-time big data is now in your hands. Run with New Frontier and let us help you conquer the wild. Mindful of sustainable practices and limiting their environmental footprint, Sansal hemp is always grown outdoors, as nature intended. By starting with uniform genetic profiles, Sansal ensures the plant will maintain its optimal performance and yield consistently throughout its life cycle. It is through innovative processes that Sansal is able to achieve pure whole hemp extracts and meet industry requirements and the level of quality desired by many of their customers. Healthy plants... Healthy people. SansalCBD.com. Improve your lifestyle naturally. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Boober way. From dabs to chivas, sativas to indicas, we roll out a whole concentrate of fresh new content every week. It's like going from the greenhouse to the dispensary. CannabisRadio.com Cannabis Solutions, presented by PayQuick, is back to help your cannabis thrive only on CannabisRadio.com Welcome back. This is Cannabis Solutions presented by PayQuick and we're here with Dean Gusky, a renowned CPA in Washington who's been serving the cannabis industry for many, many years. Before the break, we were speaking about Section 280E and how you can get items of expenses that you incur in your business included within 280 such that you can take deductions from them when calculating your net income. And that's something that you absolutely should be talking with your CPA about and getting advice from your CPA on how to take all of your different business expenses and which ones can be included 
in cost of goods sold and therefore be deductible and which ones cannot and how you can structure your business and even the layout of your store and your employees with respect to job descriptions to take advantage of that and get the maximum deductions possible. So having said that, um, Dean, what's in the future for 280E? Do you see any relief in sight at the federal level? You know, that's a question that I get asked all the time. And, you know, I I don't know. Um, I think eventually, I think you're going to see one of two things happen. Uh, And and I think one would be to have marijuana rescheduled, and it would have to be rescheduled either completely off uh, the controlled substances list, or at least to Schedule 3, and then 280E would not apply to uh, cannabis businesses, or you're going to have to have some change in the language of 280E so that it wouldn't perhaps apply to uh, state-licensed businesses. Uh, There's probably just one word you could change in 280E to make that happen. Now, the prospect of that is really in the hands of Congress, because all tax law gets written in the House Ways and Means Committee, and then it goes to the Senate Finance Committee, and then once a bill is put together, then the President goes ahead and signs it. Um, I would suspect that because the House Ways and Means Committee and the Senate Finance Committee are now uh, completely controlled by Republicans, it's unlikely that you're going to see anything Uh, on this front for a while Um, and with a new president coming in next year I think they've got a few other priorities uh, on their uh, on their to-do list so I think it you know it it, it could be a while one bright spot is is that I'd say the one bright spot is that uh, you know California uh, has legalized recreational marijuana now. And I think once we see what happens in that marketplace, we may see some movement uh, in the next few years. Got it. Given the power of California and just how many people are in California, they've got a, much, a greater effect uh, on Washington, just given the number of uh, members of their House of Representatives that they've got up there. That's, that's correct. All right, so next question is um, some marijuana retailers, they've been doing something called bundling or bundled transactions. Can you explain what those are and uh, what your opinion of them is? Yeah, I'm not sure how much they're doing it anymore because I think the LCB, uh, the Liquor Control Board or Liquor and Cannabis Board here in Washington, has come out and said that... uh, they don't appreciate that sort of thing because it's a, it's a little bit of a tax avoidance scheme. So the way it typically works is you buy uh, a gram of marijuana for a dollar and then you buy some paraphernalia items for $15 when it should be reversed or you know somewhat different. And, and the idea is, is that you are avoiding the excise tax uh, on the cannabis item because there's no excise tax on the um, on the paraphernalia itself. So, right. so in it's a, a nutshell, tax avoidance. 
Yeah, it's in a nutshell. Right. We did see a lot of this uh, early on in Washington. You'd sell a, you know, a right. one dollar pipe for fifteen dollars and bundle it with a fifteen dollar right. gram of marijuana that you sell for a dollar. And uh, so I, I right. do understand that uh, that was pretty prevalent. But the Liquor and Cannabis Board in Washington has cracked down on it. So uh, the advice to other marijuana businesses when you are opening a retail store, in whatever state you happen to be in. Uh, don't engage in bundling because your regulator is going to take a very dim view of what you're doing, and and you could get cited for violations or um, certainly be looked at as someone who's trying to skirt the rules instead of comply with the rules. And I think I'd like your opinion as well on you know overall compliance for marijuana businesses and and stressing to our listeners the importance of compliance when you're engaging in this industry right now. Yeah, I think it's very important. You know, this is a very highly regulated industry, and you are going to be scrutinized by any number of agencies from the Internal Revenue Service, from your, uh, in some cases, health departments, you know, liquor and liquor and cannabis board here. Um, and, and I think it's just important to just buckle down and comply, because in the long run, you're just going to avoid all kinds of issues and problems, fines, potential loss of license, you know, in some cases if the, if the noncompliance is egregious. And so I think it just makes sense from a business owner's perspective to make sure that you are in compliance. Got it. I agree wholeheartedly, and, and you really, business owners really need to go the extra mile. Well, sadly, we are out of yep. time. But uh, Dean, I want to thank you. We've had Dean Gusky here. He's a preeminent CPA in Washington who's been serving the cannabis industry for many, many years, and he's been sharing his insights and experiences with us. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Cannabis Solutions presented by PayQuick. I hope you found the show useful and have learned something that you can use in your cannabis business. You can download past episodes of our program by going to CannabisRadio.com or subscribing to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or iHeartRadio. Thank you so much. And Dean, thank you. And uh, listeners, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.